Folks, I am so excited for you to listen in on my conversation today with David. And I am just going to warn you, you are not prepared for what you are going to hear today. You are not prepared for his story. You are not prepared for all the things that he has experienced in his career in finance. You're not prepared for his breakthrough moment. I certainly was not. And I just could not be more excited about this guest because it is the epitome of what I want to be doing on this show to bring you these people of finance who have showed the world and themselves that they can do hard things, that they can make it through the tough moments of this career, and they can bring themselves wholly and fully into finance and experience joy and fulfillment in the career that they build here. I just, y'all, this is what it's about. It is about finding yourself in this world, finding your place, knowing what you do and why you do it. And this story with David is all of that and more. So thank you for listening. If you don't know David, you need to go just do a little research on who he is. Go to armadaetfs.com and check out the team there. David, along with one of my good friends, Phil Bach, uh, are part of the team there. David is the managing director. And so his story, his journey through finance finds him in a bunch of different places, but he works in the REIT world. If you don't know anything about REITs, this is a good opportunity to reach out to him, find out some more. He's got some great newsletters that you can sign up for. You can find him on Twitter. And you can also find him on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect with him directly after we chat. So folks, thank you so much for giving us your time. Buckle up. You're going to love what you're about to hear. Hey, folks, welcome back to The Breakthrough Factor. I am here today with my good friend, David Auerbach from Armada ETFs. His story is one that I know is going to land with so many people as we dive into not just where he is today, but the backstory, how he got here, the moments, the breakthroughs, the obstacles, the things that he's dug in and found himself through that here today. I am sure it's going to inspire you. It's inspired me. And I'm just so thankful. So David, thank you for being here with us today. Jess, I don't even know how to follow up that great intro. I'm more honored to be here with you today than I think you are to no, be with me. No, no. Love, love these podcasts. And I'm really honored to be featured on this. So thank you so much for doing what you do. You're a huge asset to our community. Thank you. Thank you for that. If you are not doing this on YouTube, then you will miss the fact that I am sporting the Armada ball cap that was sent to me. So I am representing fully in the Armada space today for this time with David. So we're going to start off our conversation with, I think, probably my, one of my favorite parts, which is just you are banned from talking about finance for this next section. I want to hear about David anything about David, everything about David that you want to share that has nothing to do with finance. Tell us about who you are as a person. What are some of the things that you just, you, you either kick back into or that are just a hobby, a life skill? Tell us all about it. That's a great question to kick off with. Anybody who does know me from my personal life knows that my two biggest passions in life are the rock band fish and going to my summer camp in Eagle River, Wisconsin. 
So chances are, if I'm gone on a vacation, unless it's with my wife at a beach somewhere, you're going to find me at a fish concert someplace across this country or a gathering with a lot of my old friends at our summer camp up in Northern Wisconsin. After working for so many years in the industry, we'll get into the story. I have this epiphany. Life's too short. Yes. Let's go enjoy these things that we like to do. Yes. And my wife and I don't have kids. We have several cats. Our cats are our kids. They're a full-time job in themselves. And I'm heading out tomorrow to go to a handful of fish concerts. It's funny for me because like friends from the business are big concert fans. And so it's great to be able to go to an event with one of your closest colleagues, a guy that you may do business with or something, but yet you're sitting there talking about anything else besides work. And so I've made so many friends and clients and people outside, like I said, just going to travel around with the rock band. I used to be a very active golfer. I need to pick up the sticks again and get back into it. Okay. I used to be a competitive poker player. Not as good as obviously a lot of other folks or World Series of Poker. The other thing, as a plug to Wes, I watch you and some of the other colleagues as you guys work towards March for the Fallen and the uh, <laughs> effort that you guys go to to train for the one day and seeing that inspiration from others has inspired me. One of the things that I love to do is really, frankly, is trying to give back. I've been very fortunate enough to have people plant some great seeds for me in this business. I was always taught from a very young age, it's not what you know, it's who. And I consider myself a network extraordinaire and try to teach and give back to that next generation. When I think of Wall Street, Dallas, Texas is not one of the places that you think about, but yet there's so <laughs> many hungry students out there that want to get involved in the world of Wall Street. So if I'm able to open my door or teach them a little bit about uh, bids and asks and taking offers and all that fun stuff, then they walk away a little bit smarter. And so really, and the other thing is we'll get into it. I also started writing a book, but when I started writing the book, I was working myself up. But after doing this today, you might inspire me to get back into that book writing yeah. again. So I'm for somebody who has worked, you know, again, like I said, I know we're going to go more deep. But at my peak, when I was working at my desk from 4.30 a.m. Eastern until 5.30 p.m. Eastern, go home, crash for a couple hours, decompress, go to bed at 8 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Eastern, wake up and repeat. Yeah. Like, I had no life. I had no downtime. It's now I feel like I'm still trying to play catch mm -hmm. up on all the stuff that I missed out. More importantly, trying to catch up on the sleep that I missed out on. So. Yeah. I'm a good sucker for a nice afternoon nap uh, <laughs> on Saturday and Sunday with the golf tournament on as well. Yeah. So that's me in a nutshell right there. For that's you. about the only thing that I can pair golf with is a nap. <laughs> so <laughs> just the announcer's voice. It's just it's so, so soothing. soothing. It is. I know I'm such a bad Augustinian. I think it's how you say it. Being from Augusta, Georgia, we have the Masters Nationals here. I should. I hate that word, but I'll say I should be more into golf. I like the aspect of bringing people in town and having a great time with them over golf, but it's never been a sport that I ever had access to growing up or anyone that I knew in my family or near, near me was interested in. So just, there just wasn't any inroads for me. Just because you have the most popular golf course the most popular famous golf course in your backyard that people would literally give their left you know what know. just to be able to go I tee know. it off and it's like down the street from you and chances are not that i know anything you probably know somebody too that could probably get you on the course or get you access yeah i would be taking more of an interest <laughs> if i 
right. <laughs> yeah. So no doubt. So okay. So you're a golfer. You are a fisher with a PH. Like, also known as a deadhead. A deadhead. Yeah. Camping every summer. Camping yep. summer. You're yep. a beach goer with your wife. Sounds like. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Fair like enough. I'm very happy with the book and the nice sandy beach and ocean. That's a like writer. Speaking paradise. of books, you're a writer. Trying to, yes. yes. I think there's something so clarifying about getting the words in your head and in your heart onto a page. I, I saw a movie a couple of days ago, and it's, it was like a small indie flick. But the guy was talking about how he's writing a book. And the guy goes, I was always taught that if you have writer's block, that means you're writing about the wrong thing. Mm. And I thought that kind of resonated with me because when I started writing this book, it just flowed right out of me. It was just so easy. But then as like my own therapy, as I was going through it, it just made me angry. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, I don't want to be going down this path. And I'm sitting in my wife's office here today. And my wife is the creative vision. I'm not a creative vision. I just, I know my skills. I know my weaknesses. <laughs> and so one of the things I always try to surround myself with people smarter than me. I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And you want to make sure that you put those people around you that sure as heck know a lot more than you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hence the, uh, the part of the reason I love what I do at Alpha Architect for sure is I'm constantly surrounded by smarter people than I am. And it's, it's empowering actually, if it's the right crew, because you can draw that strength from them, the things that they know. You don't have to find it in yourself. Can I sell Alpha Architect for a second? Of but course. I love Wes and Pat and team, and I hope that they do listen to this. I've worked with them in the past. I would love to work with them again. People are like, why are you so pro Alpha Architect? I'm like, look at Wes and Pat. They're military veterans. And they basically brought a military mindset to the ETF issuer. I'm like, who else do I want on the front line managing my ETF than a respected military officers? Like, I couldn't think of anybody better to steer the ship for me. And so I've cool. always had immense respect for the team there, for the business, how they operate things. And that, again, I could call it that military mindset that has guided them down that path. Love those guys. Wish them nothing but continued success. And very lucky that I do consider them friends of mine. Thank you. That is so so very well said. And it speaks to this aspect that we're going to get into in just a little bit of how many inroads there really are to finance, right? And you don't have to be good at numbers to be great in the world of finance. You don't have to be good at understanding puts and calls in order to be great in the world of finance. But if you love those things, if those things make sense to you, then there is a great place for you as well. And so with respect to Wes and Pat, I love that their skill set for operating and commanding a team of people to pay attention to the details and to manage the minutiae of trading and all of that has worked itself into a business that is superbly, squarely in the middle of finance and a benefit to this world. It's neat to see that. And I think there's, I wish more people knew that they could just lean into 
their strengths, lean into the things that they are passionate about, lean into the things that they love and bring that into the world of finance and find yourself here doing those things. There's no question about it. And I think there are two good examples because they've also surrounded themselves with such thought, thought leadership, credible folks. For anybody that's watching this again, and I'm biased, I reference these two pieces all the time when I talk to people. Alpha Architect has put out two of the best pieces in the industry, as far as I'm concerned. If you ever question it, number one, Wes's white paper on, so you want to launch an ETF and they walk through the Alpha Architect getting launched. And number two was the Leadville 100 mile hike piece oh, that they Lord. published a couple of years ago. Oh, goodness. Where and, toenails fell off. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if, if you don't, like, if your jaw doesn't drop, you're like, dude, I want that guy steering my ship after reading those two pieces. Again, I just, I feel like nothing is going to sell you on that. And so, uh, those guys pronounce just great pieces every single week from economists and PhDs and like really smart folks, like stuff that sometimes I don't understand where I have to go to somebody smart and be like, dumb this down for me because I don't understand this. And they do a really good job of what I call narrowing the playing field so that everybody mm -hmm. understands what's going on. I quote them all the time, but like Todd Rosenbluth, He's always Love talked him. about know what's under the hood, know what's under the hood of your farm, what's yes. under the hood of your ETF. And I think West has done a really good job of highlighting for a lot of these funds. Do you really know what's under the hood? Of this? What's driving that alpha or that momentum? Mm -hmm. and, uh, on that, he wrote uh, one take. recently on that topic <laughs> of what's under the hood of your ETF with the kind of emergence of these single stock ETFs on on the playing field and he ripped that band-aid right off and showed the world what was under the hood of that there's a lot of complicated products mm -hmm. that are out there mm -hmm. and it's very difficult for a lot of people to frankly grasp what it is for some of these guys that have 2x 3x levered buffered inverse ets with options futures overlay strategies and granted that product doesn't necessarily exist but when you start adding on these layers of complexity when I started this venture several months ago, the guy said to me, David, you got to sell me your fund in seven words or less. He goes, you've got about that much interest for somebody to either stay with you or you lost them. Yep. And that stuck with me in that whole time that we've been doing this, right. that if you can't phrase your value proposition in just a handful of words, then good luck trying to sell it to what I call grandma and grandpa who live down in the villages in Florida. Or the smartest family office, high net worth investor, the guy that manages hundreds of billions of dollars. Well, yeah, yeah. Simple to move towards simplicity is a much no higher doubt. skill than moving towards complexity. One of my favorite players in the in the ETF world is Eric Valtunas, because I imagine him sometimes as just laying an ETF on a tray and just sliding it out into Twitter world, just. What is everybody going to say about this today? Look what he did with K-pop this week. Right. He basically is like, hey guys, hey guys, check this thing check out. It out. Like, it got 10 different guys who are like, this is a great idea. This is garbage. <laughs> this is going to be on the trash sheet. This is going to be a winner. I don't know. Yeah. I wish we knew the answer to that. It's, it's almost like you were back to the future too when Biff gets the, the book of the book, uh, all the sports <laughs> yeah, results. Yeah. He, knows he knows how everything... everything Dude, I wish I had that book. I wish I knew how all this played out. Then I would joke, then we'd be on our G5s on our way to feed cheese. You can't know. But I enjoy reading and just seeing the conversation around that.
it's been great being in speaking on that coming into finance, being someone from the sports world, not being someone I would consider knowing much about money coming in. Twitter has been a really fantastic place and I've met some really incredible people, including yourself. And so everybody's journey so far that I've talked to into finance has been different. I've not met a single person who's told me the exact same story of how they got in. I think maybe only one of my guests, uh, I'd have to think about it for a minute, was your traditional way into finance. I love your story because, and I will let you tell it, but it is if someone was called out of the womb to be in finance, like this is David. And so <laughs> tell us how you got into finance. Take it all the way back. Cause I know you got to take it back to a young age. I was very young. If you go back to when I was like five, six years old, so my father was a CPA growing up, subscribed to the wall street journal. We would have stacks and stacks of newspapers around the house every single day. And you know, because it was in the office and I would see this publication, I one day grabbed it and I started looking at it. My father started back when the paper used to publish stock tables yeah. in the Wall Street Journal and it listed every single publicly traded company. My father realized, okay, he's interested in this. Let's exploit this. And so <laughs> my father was showing me like, again, I was a young kid. I, what about like cartoons and sports and coming into my own? It's my father's like, oh, you like sports here? Check it out. Here's the Boston Celtics. You can buy a shares of Boston Celtics. And um, when I was young, like my parents bought the IBM or Disney. And so he was like, you own this stock in your portfolio and you own this stock and check out, here's this new company called Microsoft. Check out what they're doing. And so I was looking at it and I saw, I see a number jump off the page. And I think at the time it, Again, I'd have to go back and look, let's say it was like $15,000 a share. And I'm like, dad, is this a typo? What's up with this stock? And it wound up being Berkshire Hathaway. And I'm like, I said to him, what Berkshire Hathaway? And he's like, oh, it's this famous company. It's based off Omaha, Nebraska. There's this guy, it's more, but remember, I'm just a kid. Right. I, what do I know? Yeah. And so I'm like, wow, that's cool. I want to start checking this out. Immediately, like literally the switch flips. I was in a little bit of a different situation growing up. My father was a CPA married to his job. My mother, unfortunately, dealt with major bouts of depression, was a Prozac adult of the 1980s. And I was basically left to fend for my own in the morning. Mm -hmm. My favorite breakfast would be running to the freezer, grabbing a uh, fudgesicle popsicle, because that's healthy to eat at six o'clock in the morning. And I would turn on CNN to watch Stuart Varney to, and learn about Wall Street. And watch the ticker crawl along the bottom, the pre-market stuff. And again, I didn't understand 98% of the stuff that I heard on TV, but was so fascinated. And this was the first time I was ever exposed to the New York yeah, Stock Exchange yeah. and seeing the crowds yes. and the hand signals. And I'm like, dude, that's going to be me. Yeah. I want to go do like that. that. My there. parents. There's action. There's players. It's a you, know, you can go talk to people today. What do you want to do when you grow up? I don't know. I'm 25 and I'm still trying to grow up. I don't know what I want to do. At seven years old, I knew what I wanted. Yeah. There was no question yeah. about it. I was going to be on the floor. And you being were going to get there with fudge pops for breakfast. I love it. 
Yeah, yeah. Parents, I mean, take a beat. You know, it's going to be a, okay if your kid has a popsicle for breakfast. Not Jess, a defining. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you a sign of our age or my age. I was a Ritalin child of the yeah. 80s. If you remember way back yeah. when they used to give Ritalin. Once I finally got off the riddle and started settling mm -hmm. down, that passion didn't change. Right. Oh, and so that. my grandmother said to me, when I was this age, six, seven, eight, nine years old, David, you better find something you love to do. Mm -hmm. Because when the alarm goes off for the next 30, 40, 50 years at whatever time it is, you're either going to wake up animated, jump into it and go do whatever it is, or you're going to be dreading, oh, I got to go back to this place again today. Are you yeah. serious? I got to go do this. Yeah. It's just like, when you start doing that, you better go find something else to do. And having that speaking in the back of my head, love what you do, go find something that you love to do. I knew what I loved doing was watching the markets. Mm -hmm. And my first major Wall Street investment was with my bar mitzvah money. I put a couple of grand at Fidelity Magellan in 1989. And three years later, that basically bought me my first car when I was a teenager. And as a result, I was so excited. I'm like, wow, this is all it takes. Just wait three years. You double your money, triple your money, you could buy a car. That's easy. Shit, anybody could do this. Obviously, it didn't work out that way. But again, it geared me towards that path of, okay, you're going to go to college. You're going to go take finance classes. You're going to find your way to work on the New York Stock Exchange. But remember, so I'm sitting to you talking to you today in a city called Richardson. Richardson's a suburb of Dallas, Texas. Okay. I'm not exaggerating. My high school that I went to is like 30 seconds down the road going north here. That's very My cool. My house is like two minutes down the road. Yeah. To, so I, I haven't gone very far in life. I'm still in the same neighborhood that I grew up in, but yet I've had all these worldly experiences that I went to the University of Texas down in Austin for four years, took these classes and all right, graduate. Awesome. I'm in the interview pool. Let's go. Let's get out there and get a job. Well. Wall Street guys weren't hiring down in Austin, Texas. Yeah. I remember getting down to like literally the final interview to go. It was almost like to be an auto loan originator. And they offer me this job and I don't know what it was, but I had this epiphany. I'm like, wait a second. You wanted to work on the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. Auto loan origination? That's not stocks. I got lucky. Again, my father had a former partner who was another CPA that was subleasing office space from my father. And he had known that I wanted to get on Wall Street. So I said, do you want an intern with me? Do you want to learn about the markets and get your feet wet? So I did it my junior year, winter semester, and then senior year, winter semester, because summers were for summer camp. I've been, like I said, I've been going to the same yeah. summer camp since 1987. And Scott was his name. Scott gave me an internship and I was really enjoying it. It was dealing with individuals. It was financial planning. It was dealing with the markets. And this is going back in the heyday of internet stocks, pets.com and WorldCom and Ron, all that fun stuff before the shit really hit the fan. Yep. And he was like, if you like this, I would love for you to come on board after graduation and I will help you get established. I'm like, awesome. Great. I accept. So when I graduated my senior year, like two weeks later, I started working for Scott. And this was again, back in the day when you could go to like 
MSN or Yahoo or some of these other platforms, and you could build out a client's portfolio, save it on a disk, go to the client's house, input the disk, sync it up to Yahoo, and boom, there's the client's portfolio. They can track everything. And I used to build out these disks for all of Scott's okay. accounts. All right. He sponsored me for my 7 and 63. I got my licenses. It's great. And I was on my own. Now, if we want to fast forward a little bit. So I, do, I get my but licenses. But I want to pause for a second. So, yeah, please. A disc. I'm a little, I'm a little fixated oh, yeah, on the disc. Little, the little plastic disc. Yeah. This, this is great. Oh, okay. This is just before you could go st to couldn't store anything in the cloud. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So what we would do is we'd go to Yahoo Finance, you'd say, okay, I want to create a new portfolio. And you would build in, okay, I own 100 shares of Microsoft at this price. I own 100 shares of Intel at this price. And you would build out the portfolio based off of the client's statement. Yeah. We'd save it on the disk. And then basically I would go to the client's house. I remember driving an hour and a half to one client's oh house. I, one day, one of his bigger accounts used to be in Shreveport, which were one of the closest casinos used to be. So I'd be like, Hey, do you guys want to go to Shreveport? I get a couple of my bunnies. We'd go, they'd get in the car. I'd drop them off at the casino. I'd go to the client's house for an hour and a half, sit there and have a meeting, go hang out with them at the casino. And then we would drive back, but we would create these portfolios. And then if there was client changes, portfolio changes, then either I would have to re-put it back on the disc or I literally hand-hold the client to, okay, click here, do this. So yeah. And it was a diverse group of people. So imagine trying to educate a 75-year-old guy through Yahoo Finance who doesn't know the first thing about a computer mouse. It, it, it was eventful. <laughs> and it was cool, yeah. though, Ken, because he knew, well, David's a young kid. He gets this. He could do all this stuff. That's not a problem. So I was, people would reach out to me. Hey, Dave, like literally, like they would call me. They didn't want to talk to him. They wanted to talk of to course. me, which was cool. Yeah. You're with the relationship with them because you're doing all these things. That's how I it was works. doing all the stuff. Yeah, like he was picking this because again, he was a typical asset manager of the of that time where it was fee based. He had some ultra high net worth guys, but it'd be like, let's say he'd buy five hundred shares of Microsoft type of thing. Mm -hmm. You get a hundred, you get a hundred, you get a hundred. We'd have this trade blogger. We have to allocate yeah. and everything. So it, it was showing me the ropes. Remember, I was doing the scut work, emptying the trash cans, doing all the filing, doing the stuff that the the kid on the desk does. Well, okay. Such a great experience. Great. Like so such now, a great experience. And I welcome any student that's listening to this call. If you want to get involved on wall street, call your financial advisor, go down the street, go knock on the dice court because they want to educate. They want to show you how these things work. Yep. Remember, as you said, you may not understand bids and asks or puts and calls and all that stuff. Each advisor is different with a different focus. Shit, go back 10 years ago, 20 years ago, there wasn't advisors focusing on ETFs. Yeah. They were looking at spies and triple Qs. That was it. And it was an edge to the portfolio and it was just there to be there, but they weren't like trading it actively. Yeah. But you're right. So, it's so valuable. It's so valuable. I started out in that same place, knew nothing. And I would answer phones and people would ask me questions that would make my brain explode. And I'm having to communicate this back to the advisor that I was working for. And he was so wonderful in that way. He spent time with me, educated me, answered questions that I had, made sure I understood why he was making the recommendations that he did. And I learned so much in that opportunity place. I'm very lucky that I, I learned a lot from Scott. 
But I'm also a big believer in the remember, good things happen out of bad situations and bad things happen out of good situations. Sure. So let's fast forward because, all right, so it's a couple of months later, we're up and running, we move offices, we got this great new space. I'm so excited. All right, I've made it. I got my licenses. Let's go. All right, time to grow a book of business. Let's get out there and grow. Hey, Scott, this guy wants me to have lunch with him. Can I go? No. Wait, what? No, you can't. Why? You're mine during market hours from eight. I'm in Dallas. So from 830 to three o'clock, you're mine. No networking, no prospecting. You got to go do it after, outside on your time after hours. And I'm like, make I don't sense. understand. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like I was always taught network is a 24 seven gig. Like you don't much put a, a time on when you network. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you want to build a business. He's like, yeah, I'm paying you. I tell you what your hours are. I call the shots. You are not, you're not prospecting and networking during business hours. Yeah. And I literally, I go, Scott, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You're wrong when it comes to that. P.S. I got fired the next day when I said that, when I called the boss out yeah. calling his business. But <laughs> between you and me and the walls here, that was one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my professional career. Yeah. And I would still stand by it, but remember, good things come out that's of right. bad situations, that's right. get laid off. And this is back when they used to publish what they called a classified section, a job section of employment. Mm -hmm. Hey, you looking for a job? And so oh, yeah. I, like literally the next day I started flipping through and I see an ad. I'm not exaggerating. It was literally like that big, two lines, series seven, series 63, question mark, call this number. Oh. Okay. Hey, Ring. saw thing yeah. 763. I'm calling this number. Want an interview? Come on in. Okay. Sure. Don't know anything about it. All right. I walk in. Nice woman takes me into the back office and starts firing questions off at me. What's your history? What do you do? What do you know about this industry? And the industry turned out to be real estate investment trusts, REITs. Mm. I'm like, I don't know. What's real? What's a REIT? I don't know. And she's like, have you heard of self-storage properties? Yeah, of course. I know public storage. That's a REIT. Or like the shopping center down the street? Yeah, that's owned by a REIT. This office building we're in? That's owned by a REIT. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Turned out to be that they were looking for an institutional trader. For those that don't know, there's retail stockbrokers, they're institutional advisors, the guys that cover mutual funds, hedge funds, banking companies, insurance companies, like the big wealth. Yeah. And... I guess I said the right thing, did the right thing. She offered me a job on the spot. You want this? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And as I'm walking out, she goes, I just want to tell you, 22 kid, 22 year old kids your age, don't get this opportunity that you're getting today. <laughs> so basically don't F it up. Right. Thanks. Thanks for that bonus support. I appreciate <laughs> that. And I walked in on the first day, met one of the guys who's a friend today. We've worked together, obviously, over many years. And he's like, David? Don't get too comfortable, man. This industry, this like, whole thing about REITs, it's gone in five years. Nobody's going to give two shits about REITs in five years. He's like, keep your resume fresh and you're not going to be your log. Hmm. I was at Green Street for 11, almost 12 years. And for anybody who knows the REIT industry continues to thrive and grow exponentially. And I was very lucky because I got to watch this entire industry grow. Mm -hmm. I got to go through the global financial crisis, the global housing crisis. This was on the heels of long-term capital management. And Lynn, who was my boss, took a very hands-on approach with me. 
And there's that expression, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Like we would always say, what would Lynn do? What would Lynn do? What would Lynn do? Hmm. And so Lynn was like the mother hen. Yeah. She was my mentor. I was a blank. I was literally an unmolded piece of clay that she was able to take and shape, mold, finesse, finesse, and make out to be the traitor that she wanted me to be. Here's how you talk to a client. Here's how you go to dinner with a client. I'll never forget. I was going on my first business trip and I had to, I had my ear pierced and I was walking in the office. She goes, you will be taking out that earring before you visit your client. And I'm like, she goes, let me rephrase that. You will. You will be taking out your earring. And if I find out that you don't, dot, I'm like, yes, ma'am. Took the earring out. I was on the phone within two months. Like literally, I, she's like, you got this here. Take this count. Talk to this person. Mimic what I'm doing. Pick up this back when you used to have the little side phones here. You pick up the phone and the ITG phone systems where you press the button and everything. But she's like, okay, take a quote. Or, hey, Dave, I'm busy. Take this report. And this is back before order management systems. About, you have a sheet of paper this long of just taking an execution report. Oh, my God. And then you have to go and put it into the system. And it was so... This was back again before technology had really taken over the institutional side, but like really being thrown in the trenches. Here's what I loved about it. Go talk to any CPA. And what are you doing from nine to five? Tax returns. What What are you doing during taxis? Tax returns. It's the same process over and over. You and I are sitting on this podcast right now. Now, I don't know anything, but... The market could completely change the past 43 minutes that we've been doing this right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know what to expect from minute to minute, day to day, week to week. Especially month to month, right now. Yeah. This, Lord knows, but that's this excitement that we had in the market. I'm like, dude, this is what I want to be doing. And so right. every day was an adventure. I was there for 11 years and it was a great time. There's one thing that you said that I don't want to miss. And yeah. I want to make sure people don't miss. You said, I got to go through the global financial crisis. All of my peers who had been here during those times had hope and also the grit that came from moving through something so impactful to your career as that. And I love that you said that. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that these moments, especially some of the ones that we're in right now, are tough maybe for advisors who are just starting their journey that wow when you look back on these moments and realize that was part of the foundations of your career you're going to be so grateful i comment about people that have literally dealt with you know talking about some of our reads and our management teams they have dealt with recessions depressions optimism prosperity wars famine 9-11 but frankly the newest one that every single person was COVID. COVID yeah. The housing crisis of 0809, the global financial collapse that we dealt with in the early 2000s, in my opinion, was nothing like what we dealt with COVID over the past couple of years. Like COVID puts all of that other stuff to shame. And so that's something that we all have in common is how we dealt with the COVID impact every single day on the market. Yeah. Even if we're working at home, it sure got depressing seeing the dial down a thousand points yeah. every single day. Um, it, t- it takes a toll on you. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer that when you see red on the screen, it puts that negative vibe on you and you see green on the screen and you feel a lot more happy. And when you just kept seeing days and days of red, boy, it beat us up mentally. Sure. 
really tough. Sure did. Yeah. But I think there's going to be a lot of people that look back on this and feel grateful for their experience here. No doubt. Yeah. And so after getting to experience all that fun stuff for close to a 12 years and through the other side of the financial crisis, through the internet crisis and every collapse and everything. Yeah. Well, my boss at the time got moved to London to set up a London operation for our company. They promoted from within, which eventually failed. And they then brought in a New York sales trader to run our desk. The New York sales trader brought in the New York approach where it was, we're all sales traders in in Dallas. (laughs) We're all sales traders and he's the head trader. I'd always wanted to sit there, press the buttons, be the guy in the crowd, do the business. And when he was like, nope, that's going to go on my desk now. I'm the one that it gets to execute. And I'm like, when do I get to do that? He goes, when I'm overwhelmed, when I have too much going on, then I'll let you press the buttons. And I just, I was so dejected at that point. Cause I'm like, wait, I've spent the past dozen years doing this. And now you're kicking me out to, so that you can take this over. Yeah. I'm like, look, you guys are paying me good money just to sit here and be like a phone guy. No, I don't like this. 30 days later or so, boss from California comes in town and they fire me on the spot. And again, when somebody's like, what do you do? I'm on Wall Street. Explain that to me. So I always call it the reverse triangle analogy. I'm on Wall Street. I'm in REITs. I'm in Dallas, Texas. I'm at the bottom tip. Mm. So what I was doing was so niche that I'm like, I'm screwed. I'm not going to find another opportunity in Dallas to reads or anything. And I found a broker dealer here who was very active in the ETF space, who had a couple of REIT accounts and he knew that I knew his REIT accounts. And he was like, can you build out a REIT business for me? Yeah, sure. I know everybody. Let's do that. He's like, I'll teach you ETFs. You could help me grow the ETF business. People had started telling me when I was about to get on board. Do some homework, learn about this firm, learn about the founder, make sure that this is the right decision for you. But I'm like, somehow you just suck it up and you just deal with it. And I did. I just, I accepted the job. Yeah. Like how bad can and this be? And it was be? cool. Cause again, this was back in 2012 when frankly, 90% of the ETF issuers that exist today weren't really around. And it was getting that opportunity to do a lot of trading. Uh, ETF portfolio management, client prospecting, as well as growing a REIT business. It was cool. Yeah, it's a great job description for. It was great. Yeah. But obviously, what you on the surface is not what's happening beneath the surface. And in that period of almost seven years that I was there, I saw over 150 people coming in and out the door for employment. I dealt with all sorts of issues both personally and professionally working with management. And I was like the one constant that stayed there for so long. Do you thought at all about why you were the one constant? I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. I I was always taught to be type A. Get an email, respond to the email. Don't wait a week to respond to the email. You get it, especially when it comes to client orders, seconds are priceless in our business. And so I was just always taught to be very hands-on. And he gave me autonomy to mm-hmm. grow the REIT business and to talk to people and pick up the phone, something, which is cool. Yeah. But in the same breath, you know, we all have different objectives in life and different priorities. I mentioned to you, my priorities, obviously, besides my family and my cats are going to see fish and camp. 
this person's priorities were having the newest car, the newest Ferrari, the country club membership, the newest suit, going to the newest club or restaurant. Yeah, exactly. It was very superficial appearance. And so for any of the money that would be generated, it would go into his pocket and his personal spending and lifestyle, as opposed to putting money into the business and growing the business. Mm -hmm. And we started to butt heads within the first year or two about why are numbers down? You don't give me anything to offer our clients. What are you talking about? We, we do execution. We're trade execution. You're a great trader. And I'm like, yep, but go talk to Morgan Stanley and tell them, what do you have to offer David at your shop? Well, I publish a note that covers the REIT sector and I'm a good REIT trader. And you need to offer research, buy, sell, hold research, corporate access, put on the conferences, put on the dinners, literally do all the things that Wall Street, all the things that Wall Street shops do, you need to do this. And I'm like, okay, so, hey, can we do this and this? No, we can't do that. No, we can't do that. No, we can't do that. And I'm like, I can't grow my business if you don't do anything to help me. Meanwhile, I'm growing his business. I'm prospecting. (laughs) We're bringing in more ETF guys. We're getting more trading business. And going back to that, what was Lynn do expression? I was always taught for traders. It doesn't matter if it's a hundred share order or a billion share order. Lynn always taught me to be very hands on with my clients. Um, and to this day, I treat every conversation order or whatever. It's my own money. If I see my stock go down. I feel bad for my investors. And so fast forward a little bit, I was working grueling hours. I'd be up at 2.30 central every morning. I'd be out the door by 3, 3.15. I'd be at my desk at 3.30 central. I'd be writing my research well before anybody would get to the office. Be doing baskets, client prep, trade reconciliation, all that fun stuff go through the trading day, sit there after hours, because he would have somebody there for an hour and a half after the close. Why? Because his client knew that they could find us. And I'm like, you want to lead by example. You show up for five minutes every single day because you're on your way to the golf course. You're on your way to go have lunch with this guy, but yet you can't be bothered to sit here until 4.30. No, that's why I pay you to sit here. Or Hey guys, we have this client coming in the office. Everybody needs to dress up, suit, tie, everything. And the client would literally come in for about two minutes when they would go downstairs to go and have lunch. to be such a common experience in traditional finance where all of these outward appearance motivated actions are the majority of the substance of the value that we provide for someone. I have a suspicion that part of the reason you stayed as long as you did is because of what Lynn taught you, you knew that you were providing value. But for someone who's coming into a position like that and who doesn't know where to contrive their value and has never been taught by a manager before like you were, 
they're looking around and going, what's the value here? And I see that a lot in traditional finance with advisors who I've talked to that are looking to make a move. They're tired of feeling like their value is only on the outside. It's just this really challenging way to find yourself in the finance world. Absolutely. Yes, Ridiculous. it is. Yeah. And maybe you're right because I'll be going through this with the partner going back to that, what would Lynn do? Lynn would tell me to do this and this, and that's how I would choose to lead my business when I was at the shop. And it was contrary to how he ran his operation. And so a great point is everything was a conference call. Every single thing was a conference call. The entire office, it'd be, if you want to talk to me, let's get the entire office on the phone and talk to each other. Five minutes, 30 minutes, an hour long. Everything was a conference call on the bridge. And I was going down a dark road. These hours that I was working, the personal and professional toll it was taking on me, I started having some very bad thoughts to the tune that I was, and I'm not exaggerating, days, if not weeks of really jumping off when I call the high five here, the major freeway, jumping off the bridge. I was, I'm not exaggerating. It was such a horrible place to be. And with my options so limited, I'm like, if I keep doing this, I'm going to be dead in 10 years unless I kill myself first. I was on one of my camp trips. Remember, I used to be on with clients and friends. Like this was a networking trip. And can I ask if you, what are, can I ask if you yes, questions ma'am. about that? Please. So, yes, please. What was driving that feeling of hopelessness? Because I'm looking at everything we've talked about today and all the things that you've done and been so successful and all that you've learned feels like there's just so many different ways that you could have taken your career in finance or even. So the answer, I feel like it's a very complicated answer and that's a great question. And I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out about this, about why didn't you get up sooner? Why didn't you speak out? Who could you turn to? The answer to a lot of this question is frankly, I don't know. Maybe I was scared to reach out and say, help me. Maybe I put on the face of, I can do this. This is not a problem. I'm okay. But when you start, you get on one of these conference calls and I'm sitting there and I work for 13 hours a day and I get to go home and deal with 45 minutes of traffic in the afternoon because of rush hour traffic, which isn't necessary as a Wall Street trader, but because he made it. So I think all of these factors are piling onto me that like, I just, I was getting to my breaking point. And knowing I have a very addictive personality, it's not, let's just have one cocktail. Let's have five cocktails. Let's not smoke a cigarette. Let's smoke a whole pack of cigarettes. You know what I mean? Like literally, let's not go gamble. Let's go hard and damn. Like I, I know my triggers and my weaknesses and all of these things started piling up and piling up. And I felt like the weight was getting heavier and heavier on my shoulders. My wife noticed it. My family noticed it. My friends noticed it. And I told them I knew the why I was in this place. And I'd always say, I love this firm. I love my team. I love my partners. I love my clients. 
I love that part of it, but the name on the door and how they operate the business and what they do to their employees is literally killing me. And so I'm at camp. I'm with my crew. Summer and camp. Sadly, right. one of my one of my other hobbies was reading Anthony Bourdain and watching Anthony Bourdain television shows. I got privileged to meet him. I saw him speak. I have an autographed book of his. Like my wife and I used to watch his show back in the back when he was on Food Network. Before he became who he was, I was exposed to Anthony Bourdain at a young again in my seminal um, Wall Street years. I'm sitting on my camp retreat and I'm surfing through Apple News and I read about Anthony Bourdain committing suicide. Mm -hmm. It happened when I was at camp. And it was like the biggest punch in the gut when you see somebody that, you know, adore take his own life. Knowing that I'm considering taking my own life at the same time as well. And I'm walking out. I walk out, I go onto the camp. I literally, I can picture this like it was yesterday. It's so vivid. It's, I could paint a picture of it. I'm walking along the campgrounds towards the cabins and my phone rings and it's the boss man. Where are you? Who authorized this trip? How dare you take this trip? I never approved it. We're going to be talking as soon as you get in the office. This is unacceptable. It hangs up the phone on me. Meanwhile, I'm already in a cloud. I'm already depressed as it is. And he rips me a new one right there. And at that point, I'm not exaggerating. Literally at that moment, the clouds parted at camp. The sun comes out and there's like this ray of sun. I'm not, it's like literally heaven opens up and the heaven talks to me. And I have this magic epiphany right there at that moment. Dude. Anthony Bourdain just killed himself today. The guy that you thought has everything, money, happiness, whatever he wants, and he couldn't take it and he pulled that trigger. David, life is too short. We're only on this earth for a finite amount of time. And you don't need this asshole ruining your finite amount of time that's on this earth. And so this happened at the beginning of June. And as I'm coming to this realization, as I set this, like, I literally feel the weight start lifting off of me. And I'd like, to, I, I'm getting chills as I'm telling this right now. I wish you could see. And I'm like, I'm leaving this job by the end of this year. I don't care if I'm unemployed and have to go on unemployment. I am leaving this yes. job. Well, fast forward a couple of months and I know that this is happening. <laughs> Boss man goes to a client's office for a broker vote review. Hey, we're going to go see a client, going to go catch up in their office. The same client had given us a program. A program, for those that don't know, is a bunch of orders. Could be five, could be 10, could be a hundred, could be a thousand orders. But the client gives us a program. And on this particular day, the market's volatile as all get out. This particular stock that they're trying to sell is very illiquid. They want to get out of the name. The stock is down 10%. And again, I don't remember the exact order details, but let's put it this way. They wanted to sell 250,000 shares of stock that traded like 50,000 shares a day, and they had to be done. And it downs, hey, and I'm trying to call the client and get some guidance, and I get no answer. And I leave a voice, and I shoot an email. Nobody responds to me. And I didn't finish the order that day because, again, I was always taught, be 
very hands-on with your orders. Let the client know what you're doing. They know what you're doing. Part of my but like I always used to say, hey man, if I fuck up, you know why I fucked up because you were along for this trade right. with me. You knew how I was working this order. And if a client doesn't call me back, I don't want to screw up if I do. And I don't want to screw up if I don't. I want them to tell me, yeah, David, hey, you know what? Yeah, we know it's down 10%. Just got the order done. It's, we got to do what we got to yep. do. But because nobody talked to me, I took control of the order. Okay. Boss goes to the office. Sorry, you guys moved down the broker list because of David screwing up this order. And immediately, as soon as he walks out of the office, he's calling, calls us, get every, get everybody, everybody on the line, conference bridge call right now. Get everybody on the line. Gets on the line. Everybody's on there. David, what the fuck did you do? How dare you ruin one of my clients? You walk me through this whole trade, yelling at the top of his lungs at me in front of the entire office. Meanwhile, he's in Cleveland. We're sitting in the Dallas office and he is yelling at me in front of the entire office. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need this. I quit. And I quit. right there, like that was, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I gave my notice and I'm, I'm, I'm walking up, I'm closing things up. I'm having this epiphany and people are like, dude, wow. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? If I was walking away as the last man standing mm -hmm. after seeing 150 guys going out the door, that was finally your breaking point. Meanwhile, knowing that I was already broken, right. but knowing again, my buddies used to say to me, do you work to live or you live to work? Most people work to live, but I was living to work because of the hours that I was doing. Yeah. Friends are going to fish concerts. I can't go because the boss no. said no. I can't go because I'm tied to this. How, I can't go to the REIT conference because of this, whatever. How wild is it that, because just putting myself in your shoes, if that order of events had been mixed up and instead you had heard those words from your boss prior to having this moment of epiphany, and prior to having all of these plans, you knew in your heart, this is not the place for you. And you are and working on a new solution, but leaving regardless, like you're not deriving your value from what he thinks of you or from what he thinks you've done for the firm. If that order of events had been mixed up and he had given you that call. I, I don't cringe at the <sighs> thought of it. The answer is, you know, I am not a religious person. I don't disrespect people, religion, all this stuff. I was always taught there's two things you don't talk about, <laughs> politics and religion. You're always going to piss off half your audience. Correct. <laughs> but clearly in that moment with the way that the timetable all worked out, there was definitely some kind of divine intervention. Perfect. There was no question yeah. about it in my mind. For literally for the clouds to open at camp and that ray of sunlight to come down. It's like in a movie. Mm -hmm. And I, I wish I could paint that picture because it truly happened that I, I have this epiphany and I'm like, you know what? Life is too goddamn short. I go, when am I happy? No one's that Anthony Bourdain after again, he's done. What makes David happy? David's really his most happiest when he's at fish concerts and he's sitting on these campgrounds. And I said to myself at that moment, I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I don't care if I have to go work for myself. 
I don't care if I have to go work at Starbucks or go deliver papers or whatever it is, but whatever the next thing is that I'm going to do, it's going to be so I can go see any fish concert whenever I want. And I can go to summer camp if I want to go to summer camp. If I want to just go be up there for eight weeks with all the kids and granted, now remember I'm married, I have kids, I have cats, no kids, but like my wife is going to let me go up there for eight weeks, nine weeks of the summer. I wouldn't do that to her, but in the same breath, I'm going for two weeks. I can plug in, remember everything's remote these days. I can just log as long as I got Wi-Fi, I don't care. You know, it starts with having a very supportive spouse. When we were going through this transition, my wife, when I was working at, for Lynn, when I was working at everything and starting with this broke, this other guy, like my wife was a grad student. My wife was a PhD student, a doctorate student. She gets her master's or PhD. And when I went to my last broker dealer, we took, I took a very big salary hit going from shop one to shop two. But again, trusting your spouse through that partnership. My, my wife said to me, David, you carried this family, carried us for the first 10, 15 years as I got my degrees and got everything up and running. She goes, it's my turn now. Let me take care of things. You don't worry about it. I got this. And there's nothing that scares me more. What keeps me up at night? No, and this is serious. This is serious. I could have all the money in the bank, but when I drive down the highway or drive down the street and I see the guy standing at the corner holding up the sign Mm -hmm. of homeless, broke, poor, help me out, like, my wife knows that's my biggest fear is that's us on the mm. corner. And granted, we have family, we have friends, we have people that we know with money and everything, but because of how I was raised in my effed up head, that's my biggest fear is disappointing my wife and we're outside on the corner with our cats. And so when I was, I was leaving in the last couple of weeks, I happened to connect with an investor relations colleague in the reed industry. And her name is Mary and Mary is a rock star. And Mary knew about my flight and where I was going and everything. And Mary's like, Dave, come do corporate access with me. Go to your, I'll sponsor your REIT note. We'll get you a Bloomberg. We'll grow corporate access. And if you want to go trade with somebody, you can go and trade. Remember, good things happen out of bad situations. And Mary's like, David, you are so well-respected in this industry. I call it yin and yang. My strengths complement her weaknesses. Her strengths complement my weaknesses. One plus one is sure a lot better than just one. I'm like, this is awesome. Did okay, you... great. Hey, Mary, can I go to fish concerts? <laughs> Absolutely. Go have a good time. Now do what you want to do. Did you re- How did you receive her saying that you are so well-respected in this industry after being beat down for those years? It's a funny question because still I get these comments today and I get asked that question going back to why I'm messed up as the way I am. Having that absent mother that was growing yeah. up and always trying to do right by her. Like, I'll never forget, I bring home a good report card, what I thought was good. And why can't you be like the girl down the street? Her name was Lindsay. I hope Lindsay's not listening to this. But my mother would be like, why can't you be more like Lindsay? I wish I had Lindsay as a daughter instead of having you as my son. And these are the things I heard growing poison. up. And oh. it's, yeah, and it's poison. And so it's, I always, that's one of my flaws. Like I say, I'm sorry too much, or they said that's because of my relationship with my mother growing up. I like to joke with folks. I'm going to save a therapist a lot of money because I've already peeled back the onion. <laughs> I know why I messed up because I am. It's obviously having to, how do you address? And so the answer to the answer to your question, 
when Mary told me that, but first of all, I knew it when the REIT industry actually did write an article about me and my newsletter and my process and my beliefs. Yeah. Like when they put me in the magazine, I'm like, cool. Wow. Yeah. Somebody actually cares when okay. I say, or when I've got close to a thousand people in my distribution list and it's CEOs, it's CFOs and guys reach out to me like, David, you have the best morning notes on all of Wall Street. I won't read anybody else's stuff before I read your note because you tell me what I need to focus on every day. Yeah. Eventually getting this positive feedback made me realize, wow, people are actually listening to what you have to say. People do care. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to get that uh, microphone, that opportunity to speak or to work with these companies, it was a great feeling because yeah, we earn a paycheck. There's no question about it. It's great to have that bi-weekly, that monthly compensation. Yeah. When a boss tells his employee, you did good today. Thank you for your hard effort. That positive affirmation carries more weight internally and externally, I feel, than the amount of money that you're getting bi-weekly in your paycheck. Yeah, it's a both and, and for because me. I, it, they both have to be there or I'm out. I need to be fairly compensated in a way that I can provide for my family. And I need to know that I'm appreciated. You can't two -way overfill the income cup and hope that it tips over into the praise and affirmation cup. They're both required and they're both separate and they both need to be filled. And brag on you for a minute because you reached out to me to be on the podcast and you said, I have a story to tell that I think people need to hear. And that is that piece that so many people don't arrive at where they own it. And it's a shirt that lives in the <laughs> closet, it's shoes that they own. And you put it, you put that on and you reached out. So we're only here because you own it. It's like going, it's like going to rehab. You can't escape your demons. Your demons are always there. It's how do you choose to address those demons? And so I will always have him haunting me in the background, but as a result, it makes me the better person that I am today because it's whether it's me interacting with my colleagues on my ETF team, my intern, my wife, my friends and the world around me, those events have shaped me to be the person that I am today. And to think that I was thinking about not like mm -hmm. now that I'm down the road with this, like I say to myself, how could you have those thoughts? How could you yeah. put yourself in that position? Yeah. Why didn't you do something sooner? But I'm also a big believer that's all that the whole woulda, shoulda, coulda. And so I can't sit there and focus on something that could have been. I've got to focus on the here and now. And yeah. again, going back to that being respected. Well, I want to bring my partner, Phil Bach into this because I traded for Phil as one of my clients when I was doing this gig for many years. And I got along very well with Phil and his team. And during COVID, Phil called me out of the blue. And for the fact that Phil made that introduction on my behalf because of my relationship with him and the team, and he trusted my right. knowledge in the space. Yep. Again, it was that being appreciated, being respected. Mm -hmm knowing that you are that expert, yeah. David, what do you think about? How do you feel about what would you do if literally bring me in for the conversation? 
And David, there's a lot of ETFs that are out there. How would you make this different? It took me two seconds to answer that question. Yeah. But to be listen, that's actually a great idea. We should do this. We should go down this route. You should do this stuff. You know what I mean? If this is a boring sector, REITs are like old people investments, dividends, income. That's what people focus on when they think about REITs. Every shop says REITs are 5 to 15% of the portfolio. We know where that slice is or where REITs go. I don't know where SPACs fit in that asset allocation model or single stock ETFs as an example. I don't know where that fits in, but I know where my little REITs and real estate fit in. Yeah. And so because I know that message, it doesn't matter if I'm talking to you, to Wes, to Bob in Naples, Florida, to grandma and grandpa who are in the villages or the smartest REIT investor in the room. And just where's the one thing that you and I have in common besides being on Wall Street? It's we go to sleep with a roof over our head. Mm -hmm. We're fortunate enough to have that roof. And so where you sleep is the most important investment decision that you make, if not for you, for your kids, mm -hmm. right? So because everybody understands that real estate is personal, personal, then they have that aha moment. And then it's an easier dialogue. Yeah. And so for me, when I was working at my last broker dealer, and I'm, Again, I'm very close to my former partner, Jason. He's a rock star. I hope he's listening to this. And I thank him for giving me that opportunity. But Jason knew I was very connected. Yeah. He knew I knew all the REIT guys. He knew I knew where all the bodies were buried. And so Jason said, David, do your thing. Go trade, go interact, go build relationships. And oh, by the way, help me place these deals. Right. This ETF may not take off. I don't know how this ETF plays out, but the fact that I actually have a voice now and I'm respected inside the industry, my mindset sure is a lot different than what it was just a couple of years ago. It's going to bring it back home. But as I mentioned, people have very long memories, especially when it comes on Wall Street. Oh, yeah. But like for the college student that's listening, for the high school students that's listening, for again, what I call that next generation, yeah. don't burn bridges. You yes. never know when your friends become your clients, your colleagues, your partners, your bosses, your supervisors, your investment dollars, whatever it is, yeah. don't burn bridges because you never know, frankly, when your past is going to come back and haunt you or in the same breath, when your allies remember many years down the road and, hey man, they're going back to that hundred share, a million share. Hey man, you stuck by me when I was a nobody. And because yeah. of that, I will always be partners with you. And one of my closest friends who I go to a lot of fish concerts with, and I'll be with him tomorrow, he is the prime example of that. I don't care where you go, wherever you go, we're opening up with you. You are our guy. And like, yeah. again, you can't put a price tag on that appreciation. And yeah. so I'm very thankful that you've helped me have this conversation yeah. because if I'm able to get somebody, okay, even if one person has this epiphany of I'm going down the same road. I need to listen to what he said so that I'm not the next Anthony Bourdain or whatever it is. Then this was time well spent for all of us. Mm -hmm. But I do feel that we all are capable of having what you call this breakthrough moment, this aha that it may come sooner rather than later. It may take years and years of help and therapy, but there is light at the end of the rainbow. And... I think it starts at home by having loving support, a good friendship, a good network. But as you also mentioned, because you started, what's your escape? Having good outlets to escape, whether it's turning on golf and falling asleep, playing a couple of hands of poker or going to a fish concert, whatever it is, you have to have a healthy work-life balance. balance. And I didn't. And I was paying the effect of that. So as a result, 
knowing what I know now, do I want to work in another office building? I don't want to deal with traffic. I don't want to deal with office buildings and any of that bullshit. I want to deal with it on my own terms. And so remember when you surround yourself with those right people, really it's a toki, but really the sky is out. Yeah. And I see that. And I think a lot of reason, sometimes some of the reasons that people do burn bridges is because the, that path feels so much more clear. It feels in the moment, like if I burn this down, then at least I know that I don't have to deal with that anymore. But what I heard you say, and what I absolutely agree with is you don't know that you may actually have to deal with that person in the future. And the fact that you burned this bridge could cause additional problems in the future. Both choices, either the choice to burn it down or the choice to just take the next right step that you can see and, and honor that will lead to another correct step and lead to the opportunities that you have right now. It wasn't because you saw Armada ETS in your future. Was it because you saw that there were things that you could give to the world? It was just that you trusted and you knew I don't need to work there anymore. And that was all you knew at the moment. And that's enough. That's enough. And trusting that. It took other circumstances for me to have that moment, but you know what? Better than having to wait an extra month or like you said, what if things have turned out differently? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I fear the thought of it. I fear the thought of it for my wife mm -hmm. and our cats and everything. And again, I know we can joke about this now, but at the end of the day, like I said, it, it keeps falling back on that. Life is too damn short. Yeah. I always, life can change in the blink of an eye. Absolutely. Look at how COVID shook families up and it's gone in the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happens on the other side. All I can do is focus on the here and now. And as a result, I'm very thankful of guys like Phil and, and others that have brought me into the here and now. And my supportive wife as well is another good example that have helped me pull out of that hole to be the person that I am today. Yeah, I love that. It's been such an amazing conversation with you. This has been even better than the conversations that we've had before. And there's a part of me sometimes when we do that kind of warm up conversation that I worry we'll lose the authenticity of that moment. I've seen it happen before where you're not on camera, you're, the pressure's not on and it just feels more natural. But today has been the absolute antithesis of that. It's been even more authentic, even more natural, even more compelling for me from your story standpoint I feel like all the pieces just have written themselves together so thank you for sharing well, thank you so much Jess that's so sweet of you to say that again I love what you are doing here as you're growing this platform and I appreciate you giving me this opportunity just to tell my story like I said before one person walks away learning from this and it saves them from jumping off that bridge then like everybody wins about this at the end of the day. 
Jess Bost is a retirement income certified professional and the vice president of brand partnerships at Alpha Architect. Due to industry regulations, Jess will not discuss any of Alpha Architect's funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by Jess and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Alpha Architect or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For more information, please visit www.alphaarchitect.com. 